Well, I'm so glad uh, those of you who are joining us and hanging out this morning. Um, I just have one kind of quick housekeeping um, announcement, and that is um, for the month of August, we're going to have just a few shifts. And um, Paul and I, our leadership team, all of us want to facilitate discerning together what God is doing in us and through us and, and our identity, who we're called to be, um, how we're invited to, um, to be the church in our neighborhoods. And um, so we're taking the month of August to pray, to hold space for those conversations and get that input, and then to strategize, to plot and plan and, and start taking steps forward collectively together. So in August, our Sundays, um, we're not going to be streaming, but I will be hosting um, Zoom calls um, for prayer, for conversation, for co-creating. Um, and if, here's the invitation, if the Groves is your faith community, if this is a body that you um, belong to, we need and we want your participation in how we are forming and how we are being um, this, how we're being a body. Because we are a body, right? We're not just a head. It's not just um, um, one person's hopes and dreams coming alive through uh, people gathering together, but this is this is us together. We are the church, um, not I. So um, we want to come together. So um, I just want to invite invite you to join us on Sundays. They will be more conversational. They will be more um, 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 uh, gathering input and. Um, that kind of thing. So I want to invite you to do that. It'll be at the same time, 11 o'clock, but they won't be live streaming because this, this is not content um, for, for um, external, but this is more an internal conversations as we head into um, what I think is, is, is God doing and birthing and, and yeah, something new in us and through us. And so I want um, all of us, I need all of us to be part of that. So um, if you can uh, join us for those conversations, that will be awesome. Um, we are going to host some socially distanced hangouts over at Sunnyside in the backyard. Josh has been there. We have a, uh, if you haven't been over there, there's a outdoor yard area. Um, and um, we think we can host about 12 people safely and um, responsibly. So we're going to um, start opening that up uh, for the month of August, Wednesdays at 7 p.m., hanging out over at um, Sunnyside slash Rivkin's um, backyard. And um, Josh is kind of coordinating all of that for us. So we'll be doing that. Um, if the fire ban is lifted, we'll certainly do s'mores and that kind of thing out there. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, we're also going to host um, a couple of prayer and worship nights at Sunnyside. Again, those will be limited in attendance, but um, really just wanting to take the month of August to suspend sort of the what we've always done in the way we've always done it and to pray together and discern together um, what God is wanting to do. So I um, just want to invite you into that. So those are some shifts happening in August, and um, we'll see how God leads and directs us um, in that. Um, this week has been, oh man, a tremendous week for me personally. It's been, um, really, really good. Um, I know a few of you and myself have been participating in, um, some of the protests that have been going on downtown and, um, that is always powerful, um, um, seeing so many different, um, it, I guess it depends on how you look at it, but to me, um, seeing people, um, on the ground advocating in the way that they are. And, and it's interesting to me too. One thing that has struck me is, you know, you know, most of you know where we live. We just live about a mile and a mile and a half from 
downtown. And um, if, if I weren't going, if I didn't go and see firsthand, most of what I would understand or know about what's happening would be like everyone else across the country through the news. And there is what is communicated uh, via news media, um, uh, and then there's what is happening on the ground. And those two stories are often in conflict. And so um, I just encourage you all to, um, um, to be discerning and um, you know, check in if you want to know what's going on, if you want to hear. Um, I know Mandy has been down there quite a bit and, and I've been participating and I could totally send you towards people that are even more engaged and more involved than, than I am. But um, yeah, I, I've just been really appreciating the advocacy and the allyship that I, that I see happening down there. So that's been amazing. And um, um, I've just been also spending a lot of time um, in prayer and in the word and with um, uh, peers and mentors um, and have, have had some really significant breakthroughs just personally um, on my own identity, on my purpose, and um, in finding my own voice. And, and God is speaking um, to me in, in, um, through his word and um, through people in ways that I haven't experienced in, honestly in, in, in a while. And so that's been really powerful. There's some um, um, good shifts and changes and things being hacked off and, and um, getting to the roots of things. So it's all good internal work that we are all participating in and doing. Um, so I just keep, encourage um, continuing that. Um, and then uh, this weekend uh, I uh, was uh, part of and got to sit in and listen and just hear many leaders of color through the Voices Conference. Um, and the, the, Voices, the Voices Project is, is um, an organization co-founded and led by Leroy and Donna Barber. So um, they had a conference this past um, weekend that was just fantastic, just so incredibly inspiring. So anyway, lots of really good things um, on my end, that's just me letting you know what's up and where I'm located this morning. So I'm coming in um, with about two cups of coffee, some water, and two pieces of bacon. And I'm like ready to have this conversation this morning. So, or I'm not really conversing with you. I'm just, I'm just talking at you. So less conversation, more I'm excited to be speaking at you today. Um, and, and this morning, as I come into this conversation, I actually have the women of our community in mind. Now, I don't normally... Um, go into conversations, you know, like uh, uh, speaking to women. And, and that's mostly because I reject and I resist being someone who can only speak to women um, or that I'm here to talk to give a women's perspective. Um, because for the record, I do what I do because I believe God's spirit has been poured out on all flesh. So um, that means that God's gifts and his power are not isolated to men. They're not isolated to Western Europeans or one particular religious denomination. They are not dependent on whether you own a home or you have a respectable job. The spirit of God has been poured out on all. And so that's why I do what I do. But this morning, I have our women in mind. Um, one of the ways that Jesus spoke truth to power was by decentering those who held it and speaking to the people in the presence of the power. Um, Jesus would speak in stories to the disciples and, and the crowds while on the fringes or even maybe mixed in religious, legal, political leaders would watch and they would listen. 
And, and Jesus knew they were there, but he would, he would tell stories. He would tell parables. He would, he would talk to the people. And um, Matthew um, uh, 21, 45 says that um, when the religious leaders heard the stories that Jesus was sharing, they knew that those stories were aimed at them. So Jesus wasn't speaking directly to them, but they knew they were picking up what Jesus was putting down, right? They wanted to, in fact, they, they picked it up so much and they felt so threatened um, by the way in which Jesus was speaking to the people and confronting their power, that they wanted to arrest Jesus, they wanted to put him in jail. Um, uh, however, it's interesting, they were intimidated, it's a, the text says they were intimidated by public opinion, so they held back. Um, because so many people recognize Jesus as at minimum a prophet. Um, so we see here, just in that, in that quick little verse, and, and seeing the way in which the religious leaders, the political leaders were responding to Jesus in his time, that power does not like to be corrected. Power does not like to be challenged. Power, power doesn't mind being transferred, but it does not want to be dismantled, doesn't want to be broken down, um, doesn't want to be diluted or dismissed. Um, it likes concentration, I think. It's, it's, power is used to being coveted, to being chased, to be held in high regard. Uh, power is used to being in demand and in control. Power tried to woo Jesus in the wilderness. Power tried to trick and get Jesus with gotcha questions from the religious leaders through theological and political questions. Power tried to ignore Jesus. But Jesus kept dispersing the authority, the authority that he had to the people who the powerful said weren't deserving of that. Jesus kept saying, you've been set free. Your faith has healed you. You're the light on the hill. All authority and power has been given to y'all, to the people. Yeah, now to be clear, a lot of the, 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 the language here, we read, and I've said this before, we read you and we just have a singular way of reading you. But it's, it's to us, it's to the people. Um, I re I've been reading some Korean liberation theologians, and they, they, they talk about the Minjung, the people. They have a Minjung theology, the people's theology. Now, Jesus does this teaching, um, and he calls power out, and he confronts power. Um, he does this in public with the crowds, and he does it in private at dinner parties. And that's the context that we are going to look at today. So we are in Matthew chapter 26. Um, starting in verse 1. Now, right, right before this, Jesus is telling stories about the kingdom of God, um, explaining to those who have ears to hear, um, uh, uh, characteristics, values, the way, the people, the king of the kingdom of God. Um, and his final story is about, um, the final story that right before this is dividing the goats and the sheep. And it's where we get um, the parable, where we get the phrase, the least of these, um, whatever have you done to the least of these. So that's the context. Jesus is just done teaching in parables. Um, I'm sure some of the religious leaders are picking up some of the stuff and they're not happy about it. So Matthew chapter 26, verse 1. When Jesus finished saying these things, he told the disciples, you know that Passover comes in two days. That's when the Son of Man will be betrayed and handed over for crucifixion. Okay, so first of all, Jesus is like, hey, you know, the Passover is in two days. And the Passover was, by the way, a festival. It was a celebration. It was a party. Um, it was friends. It was family. It was deeply rooted uh, traditions, being with uh, one another, with your people. Like, you're coming together. It's a big, big party. It's a festival, right? 
Um, and Jesus is like, hey, you know, the Passover, we get together, we eat great food, we remember who God is and what he's done for us, and we're with one another, and we're having a good time. That's coming in a couple days. Hey, that's when the Son of Man's going to be betrayed and handed over for crucifixion. This is called wet blanketing a movement. Because crowds have been coming, momentum is building, miracles are being performed. I mean, surely this is the moment of the revolution. I mean, why not now? All the people are here. This is the perfect time for a few riots, a few protests. But instead of going in that direction, Jesus says, I'm going to die the cruelest, most painful, and degrading death of a common criminal. Like, downer Jesus. Like he, he obviously did not um, read the book on maximizing or capitalizing the moment or how to, you know, successfully lead a social movement. Let's go on to verse three. At that very moment, the party of high priests, the, the group of um, high priests and religious leaders were meeting in the chambers of the chief priest named Caiaphas. This sounds like a very important meeting. It sounds like the kind of meeting that if you were in leadership and you were in power, you were going to want to be at this particular meeting. So they gather together, conspiring to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they agreed they should, this, that it should not be done during Passover week because we don't want a riot on our hands, they said. Okay, so here they are, the religious, these religious, um, political um, legal, their they're leaders, they're gathering together and they're having, I mean, probably an illegal gathering, plotting to kill someone who wasn't convicted of anything. Um, but they, they, their, their fear of riots was real. Okay, crowds, crowds are coming together um, in, in one location. Hundreds of people had been trampled previously at other previous festivals and celebrations. Um, um, during this time when uh, Passover week, the Roman governor, I like to call him Chad, he would show up and there would be an increased security presence, Roman centurions, aka the feds, that's how I, how I would interpret it. They all show up at this because they want to make sure that it doesn't get too crazy. They want to make sure that everything stays, stays calm, there aren't any riots. The high priests, the religious leaders, they want to make sure everything is calm too. They want to maintain the status quo. They don't want any riots because they don't need Rome coming down on them too. You see how the system is keeping all the players in check. Okay? Um, so here we have the few who are in power gathering together. They're conspiring. They're being covert and clandestine. They're murderous. Um, just note here that this is what holding on to power can look like. This is what empire does. And it sounds like, you know, keeping things status quo, keeping things safe, it's secure, we're doing this for the good, to sustain the systems that keep everybody together, safe, secure, protecting our buildings, our institutions. And if we have to work covertly, if we have to be undercover, if we have to do things a little bit in the dark, we, it's just what we have to do. And if we have to murder one person just to keep everything safe, that's okay. That's what empire sounds like. That's what power sounds like. An empire uses violence to protect its power. So what do we see Jesus doing? Verse 6. So when Jesus was at Bethany, so this is how the, the, the powers that be are conspiring to kill Jesus, Right? So what is Jesus doing? Jesus was at Bethany, a guest of Simon the leper. A woman came up to him as he was eating dinner and anointed him with a bottle of very expensive perfume. So here's Jesus. He's having dinner in Bethany. 
If downtown Portland is Jerusalem, Bethany is the Sunnyside neighborhood. That's about the distance between, okay? So that, the action, people are starting to gather. It's where the leaders are. It's where they're conspiring. That's all happening downtown. And over in Sunnyside, Jesus is having dinner. Okay, at Simon the leper's house. Now, um, there's, I, I, I read a few things. Mo- most people suggest that Simon did not have leprosy in the moment because if Simon was present, he couldn't have leprosy and be engaging with them. So perhaps Simon the leper was someone that Jesus had previously healed. But it also may not be a literal name. I just thought this was interesting. This is just a fun fact. So apparently, tall families were also uh, were often called like Goliaths. Like if Simon's family would have been tall, it would have been like Simon the Goliath. But Simon gets the leper, which just does not seem flattering. It doesn't seem like maybe this family's history is, um, you know, uh, really looked up to or highly desired or coveted. But here we have um, Jesus being anointed with this fragrant um, anointed is, you know, the, the oil being put on with this fragrant, expensive oil. Now, Hebrew readers looking, re- hearing this story, um, listeners, Hebrew readers, they would, they, they would recognize um, that important guests, important guests of a house were uh, anointed with oil. Um, oil was used as a uh, refreshing after, um, if you had traveled a distance, a long distance, and, and that, that oil would be put on you to, <clears throat> excuse me, and you would be refreshed by the scent and the, the cleansing power of the oil. Um, um, you know, uh, this kind of um, anointing would have been an action that um, communicated a conferring of power. Priests, uh, uh, I'm sorry, kings and prophets were anointed, were, were um, uh, covered and oil was poured over them. So we have these images, um, the history, the tradition that is coming into the mind of someone who would be listening or reading this story. Um, imagine reclining at, you know, just imagine what's happening here. So Jesus is reclining at dinner. The way they would eat dinner is like the table's near the floor um, and, and their heads would be near the table and they would eat and their feet away from the table. And as Jesus and as these others are reclining around this table, a woman comes in and starts this ritual that they would have all been familiar with. Now, and I want to I just take a moment and, and uh, uh, this woman, she's unnamed here. She doesn't, she doesn't have a name. But she's unrestrained. She's compelled. And she comes in with this offering of great value. I want to pause here for just a second because I wanted to imagine, I started imagining what does this woman look like? Because if you're like me, and the only images of uh, 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 a Hebrew woman that you've seen are in the movies, um, they're like an act, it's like an actress. This like beautiful woman who looks very natural with beautiful skin has come in and she's, you know. Um, uh, uh, but also, I just also, one thing that I've been paying attention to as I read the text is that um, these, the characters, the people we're reading about in the word are not white people. And sometimes it's good just to pause and, and take those images out of our minds. But here's this woman, unnamed, unrestrained, compelled with this gift of great value. What? And she's disrupting what has been going on. There's a disruption that's happening. But now as you're sitting around the table and you're seeing this going on, there's a scent that's filling the air. You can smell that oil. And you're taking in and you're picking up all of the symbolic meaning of what's going on. You see this jar, this alabaster stone jar, this long neck, 
once sealed, she broke that seal and she's pouring that oil on Jesus's head. And you're thinking, this is a year's worth of wages that this woman is using to pour on Jesus. Let's go to verse eight. When the disciples saw what was happening, they were furious, furious. That's criminal. They said, this could have been sold for a lot and that money could have been handed out to the poor. They're indignant. They've got a righteous moral anger that's rising up inside of them. Now, I just, I just want to ask a question. Do you think they were really thinking about the poor right then? Do you wonder, like, what were they actually upset about? What was really bothering them in that moment? I find it interesting, too, like, they're not, they're not even, it's not even like they're, they're whispering to one another, just looking and, you know, waiting for Jesus to respond. No, they, they aren't hiding their disgust. The Gospel of Mark, when he recounts the story, he says they begin to rebuke her. It's clear she doesn't belong here. What is she even doing? What a waste. She's being judged. She's being ridiculed. She's being rebuked. And I've read the story and the versions of the story in the Gospel And I've often related to this woman because what she has to offer Jesus is being viewed by those around as too much and maybe even wrong. Have you ever done something you were compelled to do or had the conviction to do, but you were misunderstood or misinterpreted or shamed or rebuked for it? I wonder if you still still may be carrying a little bit of that shame of that with you. I've noticed how my body will tense up when I feel like I need to say something or do something in part because I know the ways in which I might be misinterpreted or misunderstood, the ways that I've been dismissed in the past or shamed in the past. I feel it in my body. How did this woman think or feel in that moment? Does she know the power of her action? I mean, maybe it didn't matter to her. Maybe she was just one of those women that was like, I, you know, like she just, she, just, she just had to, she just did it. And it was just like, I don't care what these guys are, think or what they say. But maybe she was like me and maybe she started second guessing herself. And maybe she thought, oh God, what have I done? Yeah, I should have, what a waste. I should have taken this and yeah, of course, given to the poor. What was I, what was I thinking? What was I doing? And it occurs to me that women, including myself, are often ridiculed and shamed for our presence or what we bring to the table. Often we are told that we are too whatever it is, fill in the blank. Um, This kind of shaming happened to one of our congresswomen recently. Um, Many of us listened to her eloquent response that we heard this week, and she said in part, she said this, the reason women are critiqued for being too loud or too meek, too big or too small, too smart to be attractive or too attractive to be smart, is to belittle women out of standing up publicly. The goal is to critique into submission, and that applies to anyone who's challenging power. This kind of shaming happens with women in religious circles of, as well. I mean, that, that, that kind of power and control and disgust and demeaning and dismissing. I mean, how many, how many Bethmore trolls are out there in the universe? So it's not something that just happens out there, over there. It happens in our circles too. How many times have we, we been ridiculed or shamed into submission? But how does Jesus respond to this woman? Matthew 26, verse 10. When Jesus realized 
what was going on, he intervened. Why are you giving this woman a hard time? She has just done something wonderfully significant for me. Jesus says, why are you causing her suffering right now? What you see as foolish and offensive, what you interpret as a waste or as a disruption is actually good, praiseworthy, and noble. Jesus not only shuts down the rebuke and the shame, he sees her, he acknowledges and recognizes her intent and says her action is significant. Not just neutral, not just, hey, you guys, leave her alone. She didn't know that she could have, she didn't know what she was supposed to do. It's just all been a mistake. No, he says her action holds significance. That what she's done and the extravagance of her action actually matters. Your presence, your actions, your gifts, your offerings are significant and they matter. That's what Jesus is saying. And it's not cliche. It's not just cute. It's the truth. Jesus goes on in verse 11. He says, you will always, you will have the poor with you every day for the rest of your lives, but not me. Now, people have used this verse to um, say, to dismiss um, their own responsibility or their own culpability um, in caring for the poor. But this, when Jesus says this, this is probably a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, where he says, where God is giving instruction to the Israelites, and he says, there will never cease to be some poor people in the land. Therefore, I'm commanding you to make sure you open your hand to your fellow Israelites who are needy and poor in the land. So when Jesus says, you're going to have the poor with you all the time, this isn't diminishing of the instruction to be caring for the poor. It's elevating devotion to Jesus. It's not either or, it is both and. Jesus is like, hey, you're supposed to be taking care of the poor on the regular. This is what we do. This is how we are as the people of God. This is the way the kingdom works. But this offering right here, this action by this woman, this anointing of this fragrant, expensive oil, this is something special. And I just want to say this, and, and again, with women in mind, in our community, um, in our congregation, women do not let power use moral reasoning to shut you down. With Jesus's affirmation and his word, hold power accountable to the values that power espouses. And hear Jesus affirming your actions and your gifts and your very presence in a room where others may not think that you belong. Verse 12, when she poured this perfume on my body, Jesus says, when she poured this perfume on my body, what she really did was anoint me for burial. You can be sure that wherever in the whole world the message is preached, what she has just done is going to be remembered and admired. What was rebuked by man was defended and elevated by Jesus. What was condemned by man was now going to be part of the good news that was going to be shared with the world. So again, with women in mind, women, hear me and hear Jesus today. Women of color, hear Jesus today. Do not withhold your gifts and your presence. Don't let the shaming of the past or the fear of future shame keep you still and silent. Be this woman with an extravagant gift. Spend it and center it on Jesus because he sees you, he knows you, he compels you, he calls you. He says that what you do is significant. He says that you belong and he will lift you up. And my message to the men this morning is to leave the women alone. <laughs> Stop correcting, critiquing, shaming, dismissing. And, and that's, that's the talk for the dudes this morning. <laughs>
You might, so, okay, you might be asking yourself, okay, well, how and what can I do for Jesus? How do I translate this anointing oil moment into my context? I mean, we're not going to go find expensive perfume and symbolically pour it over somebody's head. Like, that's not, that's not what we're going to do. How does this translate into our context? And I'm so glad that you asked that question. Um, right before Jesus wet blankets the movement and, and, and is like, I'm going to die and, and has this meal. And before this, all of this happens, Jesus is teaching and he gives a parable about the goats and the sheep. Okay. Now, remember, I'm, I'm inviting you to, to pour out the extravagant gift that you have on Jesus. That's what I'm inviting us to do. So how do we do that? What is Jesus' teaching on how we do that? Matthew 25, verse 34. Um, Jesus is speaking in stories, in parables. And he says, the king will say to the sheep, those on the right, enter you who are blessed by my father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless and you gave me room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. I was in prison and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or feed you or thirsty or give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? When did I ever open an expensive bottle of oil and pour it over your head? And the king will say, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me who did it to. Then he will turn to the goats, the ones on his left, and he will say, get out, worthless goats. You're good for nothing. And why? Because I was hungry, you gave me no meal. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was homeless, you gave me no bed. I was shivering and gave me no clothes. Sick and in prison and you never visited me. Then the goats are going to say, master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering or sick or in prison and we didn't help? And he will answer, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you fail to do one of these things to someone who is being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me. Let's hear the words of Jesus this morning. Be extravagant in your love for him and for those he loves. Amen. Let those who have ears hear. <clears throat> I love that Jesus speaks in stories. I love that he allows his words um, through his spirit to mm, go into deep places of our hearts and our lives and shift and change us. Um, I want us to, um, for those who want to connect, um, maybe talk a little bit more about this talk this morning. If you have questions, if you want to dig in deeper to any particular piece, I want to invite all of you to come on over to Zoom. The link was sent out in um, your text if you need um, that information. I'm sure if you message one of us, we can, um, we can um, get that to you. Um, Eric and Jamie are coming on in any second. Um, they might have felt like this shift was abrupt. So we're just waiting now in this moment. But um, we're going to have some music from Eric and Jamie, and we're going to transition um, over. Uh, have some music and a moment to reflect. Uh, maybe think of some things you want to, to talk about, explore, and then we'll head over to Zoom.
All right, awesome. Thanks, Sonia. The uh, we were watching on YouTube, and turns out there's a lag. So when you yeah. want to transition, <laughs> we're like, <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Don't tell them that we were just here, perfectly ready to go, mm -hmm. seamless. I love it. Yeah, you're right. Oh uh -huh.